Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Goldfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, all the way from the Netherlands, founding bassist, composer, and producer Bart Dodge Verhoeven, of the superb Dutch funk band 7-Eleven and a noteworthy solo artist in his own right. Founded in 1987, the P-Funk and Bootsy and inspired group helped um, keep real rubbery and horn-driven funk alive during the 1990s and 2000s by releasing seven studio albums and burning up concert stages throughout Europe. Beginning in 1998, Dodge launched his solo career with groove-heavy albums of his own that include help from some of his funk heroes. Dodge, welcome to the show. How are you? Yes, coming to directly from uh, Car Stereo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. It's, so uh, glad we can uh, make this connection across uh, the Atlantic here. The big uh, pile of water, the big <laughs> body of water. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, believe it or not, I've never been across it, so. No, come yeah. over. <laughs> I'd love to. Have a look. The old country. <laughs> so, and what uh, city or town are you in? Well, I live in the Netherlands, in the south. The, the little town, a village is called Uden. And um, like 40,000 people are living here. And um, yeah, 
I work uh, as a graphic designer on a daily basis uh, in the village nearby. And uh, for the rest, I uh, play bass. <laughs> and I am Dodge. <laughs> not dodging the funk. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not dodging it. All right. Well, we're yeah. going to get deep into the funk, which we love, right? So, yes, we do. Uh, Dodge, what, what drove you to music uh, in the first place, and in particular funk, and also bass? Well, mm, the music started, uh, it was already in, in the DNA, and it came out, I think I was maybe four or five years, I started drumming on uh, uh, on the jars, the, on the marmalade jars on the, on the breakfast table, and uh, uh, my parents and, and siblings got sick of it, so I got my first drums, started drumming. I went in, uh, uh, into a uh, drum band, is it a drum corps, you know, playing the, the snare drum and stuff. And because of my length, they uh, asked me to play the bass drum, that's a, a, a huge drum in front of you, and you smack it. <laughs> and that's where... Um, Basically, it started for me. It was uh, marching in a groove with a group of people in the same same rhythm. That already did something for me, and the discipline, of course, the the and the reading of the notes. You know, I learned that over there. And then the next step was from the drum core to a drum set. And um, but I still I wasn't at the <laughs> at the right instrument. I first had to go through a whole uh, development, playing in bands, all kinds of music. And, um, well, finally, I think it was 1975, uh, in Holland, we could tune in on American Forces Network. That was a uh, in Heidelberg, there were in, in Germany, the country next to the Netherlands, were like 100,000 military stationed and they had their own music station and I tuned into it and heard um, uh, uh, straight from it was actual uh, you say it was um, what was happening in the States was happening on American Forces Network so I, I heard the, the most recent uh, tracks and then I th there was this guy called Wolfman Jack <laughs> you remember him oh yeah I got, I got a sore throat even listening to him <laughs> It is Wolfman Jack <laughs> playing the best music, and uh, he was playing all the all the funky stuff what was happening back then. It was in, in the back in the seventies and earlier, and then um, I heard the P funk for the first time, P funk Parliament Funkadelic, and then I, I think it was seventy five first hit album of a, a hit single Booty Collins, and that changed it. That was uh, the crossroad, you know then. <laughs> I had to go that way because uh, I know I don't have to explain it to you, but the the funk groove and the music of Bootsy is different from even other kinds of funk. It's uh, you got P funk, okay, but then you got this special <laughs> niche bass neutron infected funk, silly, cartoon mind. <laughs> And uh, it, it struck me. I, did, I couldn't understand. I'm a white guy. I'm whiter than me. You can't get them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's kind of universal. It hit me anyway. 
I couldn't understand the lyrics. They they often uh, you know the 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 songs often uh, are uh, children's songs or something out of a commercial. Yeah, you know what I mean. So sometimes hard to understand what he was uh, saying and what they were chanting about. But well, <laughs> liked it anyway. So then uh, that was one part, and then the other other thing was that I was in about five bands drumming different styles. And um, then I met a guy in a band who was slapping the bass, you know, with his thumb. And I, I when you, when you, there, there is a time in your life you see that for the first time. So I saw a dude, and it, oh, that's how they make that sound. I thought it, maybe it was a, a clavinet, you know, it was a kind of a keyboard, but it's striking your thumb on the strings of the bass guitar. That was the, that was the next epiphany. <laughs> so these two came together. And uh, I wanted I wanted to play bass. I don't I didn't want to play drums anymore. So it was a kind of a a tan between it. So it was, there were uh, I was back then in two ba in bands where I played the drums and played the bass. And and then finally I stopped drumming. I uh, made my own bass. This one here is the first one I made myself. <laughs> I saw this one on a Bootsy album. And uh, I had a little. In the meantime, I made a little bootsy room, which, with stuff I could get my hands on. And uh, I wanted to make a base to hang in the bootsy room as a fan, you know. And then the guy who could work the the wood said, "Why don't you make it a working base?" You know, uh, I'm a I'm a drummer, <laughs> you know. But okay, let's make it a real base. So he did his thing. I got some real. Uh, bass guitar parts, you know the pickups, the the, the little bit the electronics on it, the knobs and stuff, and the neck is from another bass. So there it was. <laughs> I was I was home. I, I my ship came in, so I stopped drumming, sold the drums, drum kit, everything out, and uh, I, I yeah, the crossroads in life. <laughs> The crossroads in life. <laughs> I went the other way, and uh, the funny thing is, when you when you have drummed or when you can drum, it's easy to slap. It's a uh, it's uh, for a bass player who plays with his fingers, and it's uh, a little bit harder. It can be done, of course, but it's a little bit harder to change from uh, popping to slapping because you slap with two two hands. It's kind of drumming. It's kind of drumming on the bass guitar, so that went really fast. I, I learned it fast. I never took lessons in in drums. I took lessons, but in bass guitar, I I, I taught myself. And um, so, if <laughs> that's a long answer, <laughs> but that's how it went. That's how I got to the in the music and in in the, in the playing the bass. That's a great and answer. Actually, really interesting to me. Um, because, you know, me with my parallel life over here in the States, kind of discovering it also, you know, at that time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, really fascinating to know that, you know, a person like yourself was experiencing it like that where you were. Um, yes. And did what about your friends and family and people like that? Did they think you were out of your mind or did they relate to the music also or... Well, uh, the Netherlands, you know, it's it's a very tiny country in uh, in the north of Europe, 
there is, well, there are a few people who know what it is. Uh, I wouldn't pretend I know what it is, but uh, uh, know about funk, funk music. When you say, well, I like funk, it, the first thing they say is, punk? No, funk. Uh, and then they say, you mean the, the F word? No, not that. It's funk, funky music. And it's uh, hard to explain. So you can't, my friends and families, family uh, was not into it. They didn't know what it was. And well, one time I, I practiced at home playing the bass. And uh, for example, my, my father, he, uh, he, he was working all the time and he knew I was making music and, but he ne never really saw it until he saw me play the bass. <laughs> and doing a slap solo, you know, I was really, uh, when I was younger, I was playing every available note full, slapping it. And then, uh, you know, he saw me play the bass, he stood up, yeah, Bart! <laughs> yeah! It was, uh, so it got, it got him too, in a way. And that's basically what, what he experienced, is what happens when we play with 7-Eleven or Taj. People don't know it really. Well, now it's 2021. That's uh, more people know about funk and the history of the funk. But back then, well, not many people around here knew what it was, and uh, they wouldn't say I was out of my mind. But you know, funny, funny music. Till until they saw it, you know, it, it it gets you when you see it and hear it live and uh, from a live band. It gets you. Yes, and uh, so. <laughs> That's what, uh, and sometimes it was uh, a little bit lonely, you know, it's, uh, in, in the place I lived, I knew one guy who was into funk, and there was one record store who sold one compartment of funk and P-funk, and that was it. So, and then we had, of course, American Forces Network, we tuned in every day when it was on, the, the, the funk shows. That's a little... A little bit lonely, <laughs> you know. It's, uh, but that made it the, the the fact it was special made it also kind of attractive to me back then. You know what I mean? It's uh, not everybody's doing it, so uh, yeah, felt good to be in that. Although I, it, we were we were of different color, maybe of, of the people who make it made it originally. I still uh, still dug it. <laughs> Well, I imagine uh, even in uh, the Netherlands, if you had mentioned like James Brown, they probably would have gotten some idea. Correct. Yes, that's still till today. I when people say what kind of music you play, it's funk, and they don't know what it is. I say, you know, James Brown. Yes. Well, that's basically that's where it started, and then a whole universe. James Brown was a door, and when you open that, you get in the funky universe <laughs> of every kind of flavor. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in, in America at that time, it was a, a totally a black phenomenon, African-American yeah. phenomenon. So I felt out on an island too, because, you know, being yeah. white, I was going to the shows and I didn't see any other, you know, here in America, I didn't see any other white faces. So um, and my family yeah. wondered what the heck was up with me too. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the frustration also was that so often we try to describe then, you know, what funk was, and people here, especially white people, uh, equated it with disco. Like, oh, yeah. it's, I know, oh, yes, yeah, no, that's totally different, you know. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, 
I understand the uh, lost in the translation concept. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Maybe it's it. Uh, a lot of people uh, experience the same thing. Maybe we did. Yeah. Yeah, we're brothers uh, in, in in some sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, did you find you know learning how to play some of those uh, bootsy parts and funkadelic uh, Parliament bass parts uh, difficult and challenging, or did you pick right up on it? No, um, I never uh, played something by Bootsy. Never mm -hmm. played a, a funk cover. I can play uh, maybe Mothership Connection because we one time we played with Don Cell Life. We had to rehearse that and study that. But I um, funny that when you ask that, I never took a, a Bootsy record and and uh, looked what he was playing. Never. No, I couldn't play one track of Bootsy Collins. Zero. I have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> Maybe it's I want to keep it like that, you know. I don't want to reveal the <laughs> the formula behind it. I know, of course, it's one formula. It's on the one and stuff. But the way he plays, when I listen to it, I want to keep it that way. I don't I don't want to touch it as a bass player. So when it, it influence, it's it's my main influence. The way he plays and the scene making, because I got uh, an, an enormous uh, rack of um, effects, bass effects. And when you play what you know through a bass effect Bootsy is playing, it sounds like him. But I wouldn't, I couldn't uh, play one track of him. No, never did it. Uh, and by the way, uh, when we started with 7 Eleven, uh, we were, uh, yeah. Of course, you have some. You have to uh, talk about what you're going to do. What you're going to do, and I, I started no covers, none. And the others, no, none, none. I want to play what we are, what we come up to, come up with new stuff, and uh, we did. Sometimes when we we had horn sections, they imitated. You know, they, they put a piece of uh, horny horns or Fred Wesley and Maceo in it, but uh, no uh, no tracks. We played and we imitated nothing further. I mean, myself neither. Well, that's very unusual. You know, I mean, it's a credit to you guys to be that creative and, and push yourselves uh, that way, but uh, very unusual. Yeah. It's like... Um, uh, Computer, <laughs> that's what a brain is, uh, uh, asking it to come up with something. When you put all the funk you know you ever heard, put it in, and what comes out? You process it to something. Process it to something yourself. And um, yeah, I, I, when I listen to a band who is playing music uh, composed by somebody else, you can say, uh, okay, that's a nice twist to it. But um, no, you can't beat the original, I would say. Leave it and make something else. If you're a musician, create something new. <laughs> yeah. Take every inspiration you got from whatever. Uh, I, one time I heard it was a, a classical composer who had a, a bird in his garden. You ever heard that story? It was Liszt. A guy like that, you know, a classic dude with long curly hair, and he had a, a, a 
a beautiful bird singing every day. And he was on his uh, piano. Wait, whatever inspiration you get. But um, yeah, wherever it's coming from. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't imitate it. I imitate the bass. That's why that's I told you how it started, and that didn't feel good because it's it's not my idea to make a star bass. I made it as a fan, and then uh, I had to get. Uh, I was waiting till I would meet Bootsy or getting get in contact with him to ask him. You know, is it okay? <laughs> is it okay? I, I, I'm using your star bass image and the glasses. You know, the star glasses, and I got suits. With, with stars, yeah, and he said, uh, I, he didn't say it to me directly, but Patty, his wife, he told me, yeah, I asked him, and he was flattered, he was flattered by it, so he said, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing, it's funky, mm -hmm. okay, and that, that was it, so I'm funking with a permit, <laughs> <laughs> on my star bait. But uh, imitating his music, I would, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I don't know. I make it. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you? Uh, how and when did you get the uh, the Dodge name? Yeah, that's a nice story. Uh, when we were um, rehearsing and playing with Seven Eleven, it was a, a, a rather big band, maybe seven, eight, or nine persons, it was varying a little bit. With a horn section, a rapper, a singer, you know, and they all have got nicknames. We got a singer called Juliet, that was kind of shortened to Jewel. She got her own way of writing it. So, so everybody got his. We got a rapper. Rappers have their own nickname, RMC, and um, so everybody has had a name. And I had this star bass and the the whole haberdashery. So when I have. And every time I came up on the stage for a solo or did something, they were called, Look at this Bootsy! <laughs> the whitest Bootsy you've ever seen! And uh, one time in a, in a rehearsal, maybe we were 10 years together or so, or maybe earlier, I said, That's it, enough. I am no Bootsy. I got the star bass and all that. And then the rapper said, Okay. We're gonna call you Dodge. I always drive one, and I'm always bragging about them. You know that they're so good and faithful cars. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's for me. There's one brand, the Dodge. So okay, we're gonna call you Dodge. Well, that was even that was worse. You know, call me, uh, give me a car name. But but he's kind of consistent. He was consistent. We're gonna call you Dodge, and uh, so we were. Playing, uh, we played a lot, and every time dodge on the bass, dodge this, dodge that. Then in '98, I wanted to record something by myself, so I was looking for a name. Yeah, my my last name is Verhoeven. Should it be Grooven with Verhoeven or something like that? You know. Um, now nah, let's let's stick to the dodge. Uh, uh, I, I put the dodge name on the record. You know, I put the car I had back then. It was a Dodge Aries, very small car, and um, yeah, then it was a, it was a fact. And then when you play somewhere and you get off the stage, and uh, you know your fans, hey Dodge, come over, give me a signature, and uh, Mr. Dodge, can I ask you a question? Well, okay. <laughs> so he he baptized it, 
we call it we call it that and okay that's it then and now I'm used to it it's it's a bit funny you know take a take a car name <laughs> a car brand and uh, name a guy after it but why not I'm well, not docking the funk <laughs> well you know what I mean there's a thread there because I mean uh the the heart of uh, automaking is Detroit, and Detroit is one yeah. of the prime funk towns where United Sound was, and all that. So there you go. Yeah. And how about uh, the Chrysler logo with the star? I mean, yeah, we have the star right there. Dodge caught between P Funk and the Chrysler Corporation, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's it's a funky situation. But yeah, well, what the, the rapper always says, he, he named himself, I guess, but a nickname is given. You know what I'm saying? It's funny when you say, oh, that's my name. I, my stage name is that. It's, it's funnier or more real, I would say, when somebody gives it to you. This year, your nickname is, we're going to call you that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and yeah. so I got to ask, how did you get into the Dodge vehicle so much? Uh, what is that? Do you still have one? Yes, I have a Dart, a '74 Dart, with the slant six. You know, you know anything about cars? A little. It's a slant six is a uh, slanted. It's, it's like this. The engine is slanted in the engine bay, and it's a six. Yeah, I was uh, as a kid. I was working in a gar garage, in, in a shop. And uh, you know, changing oil, washing cars. As my dad went to that garage and said, "Don't you have a uh, Saturday job for my son? Yeah, let him come over and he can wash cars and change oil." I did that for a lot of years, so I got into cars a little bit. Then, when I was maybe twenty something, twenty, twenty-one, the shop owner said, "Hey, Bart, is this uh, something for you?" And there was a rusty old Dodge Dart Custom, four-door sedan, 74 model. Oh man, and back in the days, that was a, in Holland, it was a big car, in the States it's small, here it's a big car, and it's used by drug dealers <laughs> back in the days, you know, so it was a little bit pimpy, but yeah, it was, it was cheap, it was like $600, and I bought it, it was my first car, and that's, you sold. The first car, the one, can only be one. And uh, every time I have the same car still, not the same car, but same model, same everything, same color. Every time I step in the car, it's back when I'm 21. It's, how you call it? Uh, sentiment, youth sentiment. It um, takes me back every time. But uh, back then, I, I couldn't afford it. It was rotten, rusty. It was need of uh, overhaul, really. The engine wasn't good. So I had to sell it. And uh, my next car was a Dodge again. I, I stuck to the brand. So, and now after, yeah, maybe it was um, 2013, there was this, exactly the same car was uh, still for sale. And I bought it again. So, full circle, you know, <laughs> back. Back at the same, the same feeling, the same interior. Yes, slant six. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So that, yeah. So how did you uh, find like minds to form Seven Eleven? Hmm. 
Yes, I was. Um, somebody asked me. Uh, it was '85 for a band um, just to play bass for one concert. It was a kind of a party for that firm, and it was a band was uh, put together by people who worked in that firm, and uh, but they didn't have a bass player, so they asked me. Somebody knew me, and when you, okay, I played the bass, but. When you bring a star bass to the stage, it something happens. If if people recognize, you know, something happens. Though, so that uh, it wasn't me, but it was. I would always say it was the bass who did something with the band. It it lifted. It it, it uh, I put in my my funky thing, you know, and the band became that that one uh, concert became a success, and we could make a record right away. That was. Uh, it was a dream come true. We were a band put together from different. Uh, it was a secretary, a guy from the mail room, you know, and uh, you could drum a bit. A few secretaries could sing. There was a guy, a uh, um, sales guy who could play guitar, and there was me on the bass. And the director, after the show, jumped on the stage, and this band is going to make a record. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was okay, but. So we uh, recorded the first record. The band was called the Savannah Fun Brigade. The the SFB was the initials of the of the the company. It was called SFB. So they they came up with that name. We recorded. It was a bad record. Was bad. But the funny thing was, uh, we we that were cover, these were covers of uh, the guy who put the band together. A little bit of Kip Creolish, no funk, and. Um, then the, the the guy in the studio, you know, with the big the big uh, tape recorder tapes, he said. The engineer said, "We got three minutes left <laughs> on the tape for the album. What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to do something. Let's make some funk. You know, let's make a funk groove in three minutes or two. And that really, for uh, that was my first really uh, experience with recording funk out of nothing." With a few guys who uh, who got it, there was a, a uh, the keyboard player and uh, the guitar player. They understood. They got it. Yeah, that's that's what we want to do. So the band broke up after one and a half years, and the three of us got together. Let's let's make funk. <laughs> you know, let's make some let's make some funk. Let's let's do that that little track we did, and so we did. And then that's how we the first three got together, and uh, the keyboard player left, and me and the guitar player Dice. That was uh, so we started Seven Eleven. That's thirty three years ago, so we've been around a while. And along the way, Dodge got his uh, his room to do his thing. But that's how we uh, how we started, basically. So and. and Short, short after um, we three got together, I got in touch with a drummer who was in another band I played bass in, and I asked him, "Do you feel like uh, playing in a funk band?" In Amsterdam, he was. We were in the south, so that's one and a half hour drive. Yeah, let's go. He was a young young kid, so after a year, we uh, got uh, Captain Herc on the drums. So we the four. Uh, the drummer, the keep no, the guitar guitar player, and me were the, the original three Seven Eleven members. Yeah.
we got this um, um, rhythm section together. We played so long; it's so tight. <laughs> I, you, I would say you would never find a better one. It's you know, Dice is playing the the rhythm guitar. Captain Eric drums me on the bass. I'm a little bit up front, as the drummer explained it one time to me. I'm a little bit up front in the note. I'm a little bit hasty. The guitar player is kind of lazy, <laughs> yeah. And he, and the drummer's in, and that is in the pocket. As uh, I heard it, as long as we're playing with Seven Eleven, I heard a million times your rhythm section, and I I, I say I know <laughs> we're like one instrument. Three people, but we're one group. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> you get it, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what makes it work, yeah. man. Um, you know, yeah. when I first became aware of 7 Eleven in the 1990s, it was you know, the 90s was a rough decade for funk fans because uh, you know, there wasn't much happening. Um, very few Correct. originals were still doing it, and it didn't seem like you know, new people were coming out. And, you know, when I found out that, you know, across the ocean in Europe, there was this group that was like doing authentic sounding funk, it kind of blew my mind a little bit, but I was so right. happy and excited that it was still being continued on and that it sounded yes. so uh, authentic and that it was, um, you know, horn driven. It wasn't, you know, hung up on like, you know, new electronics and things like that. It was, it was real. And um, yeah. So, but it was hard to find 7-Eleven records in the U.S. I mean, it was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, we, we signed up with the record company called Challenge. So, <laughs> they uh, they tried it. Yes, I know what you mean. And uh, over here, it was hard too, yes. There were a lot of, uh, in the 80s, there were like maybe 25 funk bands for a small country as, uh, as the Netherlands is. And then after a couple of years, just 7-Eleven. They all disappeared. It's hard to, uh, yeah, to stay together and uh, maybe uh, stay real to the to the funk. Although Seven Eleven is not, I would say, not strictly pure funk because we're a combination, the sum of the members. You know, we got uh, RMC is rapping. We got Jewel who's uh, a real vocalist. Yeah, you got the horns. Yeah, keyboarders do their own thing. So it's not. I wouldn't say not really P-Funk, but it, when you, <laughs> the, the fact that you're, uh, what, what you just said, is that uh, the message comes over, it's, it comes across. Well, there was definitely yeah. so much, um, you know, P-Funk and, and JBs uh, and, and meters, you know, and that type of influence in it, so um, definitely came through. and. From yeah. from here, you know, I discovered these other groups too, and I wondered what was going on in the Netherlands, you know, because of Gotcha and uh, yeah. Octave Pussy and and yes. you guys, yeah. and and I was like, is there like a huge funk movement there? You know, what was it like over there? Yes, the um, Holland is so small. You know, we have like seventeen million people, but uh, and when you got something niche like funk, you uh, kind of uh, sooner or later, get to know everyone doing the, the things they're doing, and the guys from Octave Pussy, and not so much Gotcha. That's uh, these are, I would say, a level up. They were really uh, popular in Holland. You know, radio. Uh, they got airplay, and um, they did. They toured in Holland, and they got a really fan base. But um, yeah, when you um, 
and they, they um, because of their fame, they got into trouble. Personally, that's what I heard. But um, you got to ask them themselves. <laughs> but uh, that's what I heard. So the 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 fame thing comes with a price. So they had to they gave up. And then after maybe ten years, hey, gotcha is back together. Then the 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 venues are full again with all these old fans, and uh, they still got it. But um, but the the bands a little bit on our level below the 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 popular music radio airplay uh, level. Uh, most of us uh, they know each other. You know, it's uh, I wouldn't say a funk movement, but uh, we know what we're doing. We're doing the same thing. In a, in a very unfunky country, <laughs> trying to make funk music, and um, and we got this uh, different um, different piece of the funk. I mean, okay, pussy is, is rough, more to the the parliament funkadelic, dirty, dirty old funk. You know, the more of the pee, and we're like um, a little bit clean, <laughs> shaved. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's somewhat cleaner, maybe. More uh, to the jazz, where we played at a hundred jazz festivals, always uh, because of the solos on uh, with um, keyboards and and horns. You know, you often end up uh, as a showstopper on the on the jazz festival. It's funny, <laughs> but uh, hey, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But um, so these these different punk bands in in Holland, they got their own way. They're a little bit their own style, of course. Uh, they don't they, they don't sound uh, the same. But uh, you know, Octave Pussy has, uh, has been around for for a while. They're uh, they're very uh, motivated and do uh, really active with uh, with records and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when when did you uh, first get to finally meet uh, you know some of the P Funk people? Yeah, that uh, of course. <laughs> this again. For you, uh, you, you probably know uh, how it goes. <laughs> you hear the records, you become a fan. You're touched by the music. Um, a little bit from the, for me, it was a little bit from the sideline as a fan. And then all of a sudden, when you start making music, and even I want to do that too. Yeah, then you you get into studios. Um, um, I was uh, for me, it was as a fan. I, I ordered some uh, merchandise. At the Bootsella fan club in Cincinnati, and I put in a little picture of me on my base with 7-Eleven, and uh, that's basically what's, what what get it got it started to finally meet uh, Bootsy and uh, and mm, going backstage and uh, and I made I had a fan club for him a couple of years, so that was my first encounter, and uh, with with a, a real. <laughs> My, my idol, basically. I was straight to the to the top. I didn't go via way. I was, you know, the first one I met was Bootsy Collins. Uh, when I went to the show where he was playing, a, a little uh, anecdote. I was. Uh, it was in Cologne, in Germany. It's like a two-hour drive from here. And um, my friend and I, it's a funk fan too. We went uh, to the to the show, and we came in Cologne and. Uh, we drove there. Where is the venue? You know, and we were we were looking. Should be somewhere here. There were no GPS uh, stuff. You, know, you had to do it with maps. And 
uh, I looked to the left and I saw Bootsy walking there with Patty. I said to my friend, well, there he is. <laughs> Let's stop the car. So I said, so, so, uh, and I, uh, of course, I sent my uh, a picture uh, with the base and uh, uh, some letters, uh, faxes. And the Bootsy came to me. Oh, Bart, <laughs> you recognize me. I got a hug right away. And uh, when we were ready, uh, hugging uh, each other. And he said, oh, man, we were looking for the, the venue. Yeah, we, we were looking uh, too, so hop in the car. So after, I think, one minute, I saw the first time I saw Bootsy, he was in the back of my car. And uh, so we, we drove like 100 meters, and there it was. He stepped out. He, he, uh, it, it was a small dodge, but he opened the rear door, and he uh, let Patty out. And uh, I said, well, uh, Bootsy is not a big car. Oh, no, man, it's a space limo. <laughs> so <laughs> when I got home, I put that on the back of my car, space limo. A really a small car, but uh, that was my first uh, encounter. Was right with the one, and uh, backstage after the show. I mean, did that show? I, uh, you know, Bootsy shows. It's uh, yeah, it's another program <laughs> to tell to tell about that show and what happened musically. But uh, afterwards, we uh, we hooked up. And uh, we talked a little bit. I met uh, Mudbone for the first time, and the whole crew was hanging there. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was, we want to go to the hotel. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And after that, when I was uh, recording uh, the, the first Dodge track, Dodge uh, album. I had that here. Yeah. Got my copy also. That's it. Yes. Great one. Mudbone was in Holland somewhere. He lived in Paris. Yes. He, uh, my lived in Paris, and a guy who knew a guy who knew me, I was uh, recording uh, that album, got, uh, hooked me up, and um, that was the second. That was uh, Mudbone Cooper. Man, when you hear that guy sing, uh, that for, I'm ready now. That was it. My life is over. That is uh, amazing. When he opens his, uh, wow. So, the first track on, um, on that little album, uh, Mutronic injection. Oh man, it was amazing. So then later, when we were recording with 7-Eleven, we got into hooked up with Fred Wesley. You know, these people are so uh, nice. They're, 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 so you think, well, they're making funk, dirty, nasty P funk. But when you meet them, they're the kindest of, of the kindest people. Amazing. And um, so that's uh, that's how it goes, you know. Someone knows a guy, and then uh, all of a sudden you're in a studio with them, and th then they go again. For Mudbone, later on we uh, hooked up with him again to do a, a few live shows, and then you see, uh, and then you know, as a bass player and a fan, a Bootsy fan and a fan of Mudbone, and uh, you're standing behind him. And he's singing the Mothership Connection or, uh, you know, those Bootsy lyrics, those, those chants. We're looking at, you know, on the stage. Look at this. What's going on? How is this possible that we are experiencing? You know, that uh, I had to think, uh, I looked at the, the interview you did with Ida Nielsen. She had a, uh, I, uh, I could relate to that a bit when she was playing with, with Prince. I mean, that's a different league, but hey. So, oh man, then all of a sudden you're standing playing bass with somebody you, you know, 
have imagined that uh, that would happen. So these are great gifts in the farm for me. Yeah. Um, did, did you meet uh, ever meet George also, or just uh, the Bootsy guys? Yes, um, uh, we did a uh, we opened up for George Clinton in Paris. That was in 2013 as well, and uh, well, we went up to a room where he was hanging. <laughs> we made a picture, and uh, I never really talked to him. No, no. <clears throat> I want to uh, point out some specific tracks that are among my favorites, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, on that, uh, the, the, the come out, um, hit the fan, you know. That's uh, which one is that? Uh, and, uh, and Dirty Frog. Oh, Dirty Frog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a 7-Eleven uh, tracks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the then, on Get Them Down, uh, which I have that one here. Yeah, I have that one here. Um, say P-Funk, which mud yeah. band, you know. So. Of course. Yes. Yeah. We were back then. He was uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, we did uh, some live shows and uh, the recordings of, uh, of these 7-Eleven tracks. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, when he, he sings over your music, however bad it is, it sounds funky right away. <laughs> yeah. He's a one and, of a uh, kind for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, well, the, these uh, Get Him Down was a kind of uh, a remixed album. So we were between albums and we had so much live material. Uh, so a guy we knew, it's called Handyman. He calls, calls himself Handyman Maurice. He's got this studio where he can do magic, magic things with uh, computers and stuff and samples. He put these live recordings straight from the uh, the mixing board, put that in his computer and remix it to, uh, uh, say, P-Funk. I don't know if that is one, but there are a few tracks on, on that album. I'm getting down. <clears throat> remix from live, uh, live stuff. And... Uh, yeah, that's uh, really funny uh, when you hear what he does because you played it, you know, live, but he mixed it into a, another song. It is used, <laughs> but it's still funky. And uh, so that was a that was a, a great experience too to uh, get into that uh, digital uh, digital thing. I was with him a couple of times and uh, for my own stuff. Yeah. You can't understand. You have to be almost a computer programmer. At least that's how it looked to me to get all these things together. And where do you get it from? You know. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I got a nice piece of music. <clears throat> Hot and funky. It was so great hearing Fred. You know, uh, on that. Yeah. Yes. That was uh, amazing. It's a nice story too. Fred uh, played in Paradiso, that's in Amsterdam, with his, uh, I think it was his band. <clears throat> he was playing with uh, a, a band, I think from Belgium, he hooked up musically with them. And then um, we had already, in a way, back, backstage, you know, uh, took care of the, the, the appointment that he would come 
know, the, the gig was Saturday in Paradiso. And so that I, before he would go on the tour bus or go to the next gig that was in Belgium, that's south of the Netherlands, that he would do a solo on a track, especially for him, Fred. And um, so we, we got in from the, the hotel in the morning. The recording would be, I would say, from 10 to 12. Then he would be on, should be on his way to be on time for the next gig in Belgium, in Brussels. So uh, we picked him up and he said, my horn is on the bus. <laughs> but there was no horn. Oh, that's a, that's a problem. So uh, the black horn, you know, the soul system, it was, uh, it was, was on the bus. So, okay, uh, everybody was calling everyone, all the trombone players, all the, the horn, horn players were calling their friends. And then we got a, some, some guy, I think he came on a bike, brought a, uh, a trombone. And uh, well, in the studio after a cup of coffee or something, uh, there he there he goes. So uh, and then he did another solo on another track. Uh, what's the name of this track? And shake the cake. So he's on two tracks on that uh, album. So and we uh, we took him in the car of, of uh, Marcel, the, the guitar player. We took him to to Brussels and uh, grabbed him. Uh, a bite to eat, and then uh, he uh, joined up with his band, and we went home. <laughs> it was very nice. It was a very short, uh, uh, yeah, short meeting, couple of hours in the studio in Amsterdam. But that's the same thing when he uh, strikes out his horn and starts playing. The the the, the wave. No one in the yeah. pocket like him. There's nobody who does it or can do it. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, so we were, uh, yeah, we were amazed and flattered that he would do uh, a track, even two, and not a solo. But it's, uh, I always thought that the track Fred, it's, um, it's too fast. It's a fast, uh, to, that's, uh, of course, the combination of, of mus musicians, and then finally it comes to this rhythm. But when I listen back to it, ah, it's, it should <laughs> it should be a little uh, a little slower. It's a uh, really a tight. It's okay. It's what it is. But when you when you talk about Fred, I, I think of, oh yeah, it's a, it's a fast track. Mm -hmm. Then on the uh, the live in Paris, you know, I really liked your uh, bass spotlight on Hot and Funky. Yes. Yeah, in the 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 little uh, solo in the first track, also a fast. Uh, what's it called? Hot and funky. Yeah, fast track. Yeah, <clears throat> it was nice. Uh, that that um, show, there were so many people, and they were. Uh, it was raining, and uh, the 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 audience, maybe I don't know, twenty thousand people, were standing in the mud like this. With the feet jumping up <laughs> in the mud, it was that was the dirtiest. When you, when you talk about life in Paris, always have to think of the rain and the mud of that uh, festival ground. But uh, the, the the front of the, the little album, you see a piece of the audience. I don't know who to, took the picture. You know, they're enthusiastic and jumping around and didn't care about the mud. You know, <laughs> with their ankles in it. 
maybe that's uh, makes it funky as well. You know, yeah, the music was good, and we were standing ankle deep in the mud, yeah, and splashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did Did Seven Eleven ever uh, consider or come close, or maybe you even did? I'm unaware of it. Uh, come to the U.S. Yeah, in 2006, that was. Yeah, we had a. Um, we were in contact with Slapback, uh, Jarrah House uh, band, <clears throat> and we would um, together make a little tour. So uh, it's kind of a dual uh, funk show, two bands. But in a way, that didn't happen. It were, things came up and. Uh, just before the finish, you know, just before we, it uh, it was uh, canceled. Mm -hmm. It was canceled. It didn't didn't happen. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Jar is a great guy too. He's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a. This man has is so full of humor. <laughs> I said I wouldn't say he's a funny guy, but he's yes. And also in his music, of course, he's a serious musician. He's multi-talented. He can play drums and bass, guitar and keys, and sing. And it's I wouldn't couldn't, couldn't choose what's the best. Maybe bass, so, but when you see him drum, but it's always with a kind of uh, humor in it. He's not too serious about himself, so that's that makes it. You know, but he can play all the booty uh, the booty tracks. I heard him play. Uh, we we played with him, and uh, I did a few uh, uh, guest appearances with Slapback, and he he plays the Bootsy uh, riffs uh, just as easy and very well. He can do it. <laughs> well, no, and their their live recording. I think it was a DVD too. Maybe they did covers of like Disco to Go and Atomic Dog, and 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 they're one of the few groups that I mean sounded like as good as the actual. Yes, you know. Yes, exactly. They could, they could measure up. Yes. <clears throat> so in '98, uh, you came out with um, I think it was '98. Like you said, Mutronic uh, Injection. What yes. uh, inspired you to go off and finally do your own thing? Yeah, mm, it's nice how uh, natural things evolve. I mean, with Seven Eleven, we uh, recorded a few things before 98, also the, our own album to come out. And um, we did a few tracks on other uh, samplers. <clears throat> but when you record something, you always start with drums, bass, guitar, rhythm guitar, mm, keyboards, then you got the horns, and then you got uh, vocals. And then after that, the beat ring, you know, the tambourine or the cowbell or whatever. But when you start recording, um, it's on mostly on a headphone. You sit in the studio. You hear you. I hear my own bass. Yeah, you know, I got all these effects, and they got this definition. You know, the 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 booty sound is kind of liquid, the mutrons. And uh, yeah, that sounds good. And then all these other instruments come on top of it, and what remains is. You know what I mean? Where's my uh, the, the the sound is gone. It's covered in uh, a house of music. It's okay because the bass is the basis. It's 
but uh, it didn't. It was not. You know, I was a little bit disappointed every time after each recording the bass got is covered, smothered by other instruments. So now I want to do something, you know, with the bass up front. And I did. And that's uh, not not really with the band. I did it with the handyman, with the, the guy with the, the, the studio and the digital uh, digital stuff. And you have, don't have a drummer, but you got beats, you know put on a beat and you play the bass and you put another bass on top and more bass 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 so then uh, all of a sudden you got a bass album and when somebody is uh, playing guitar or vocals you know I, I, I took care that the bass sound you know the definition was still intact and that's how it uh, came about I mean I wouldn't say it was frustration but it was um, I, I've always felt a little bit uh, pity the, 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 the nice Definition of the bass sound is is uh, mixed back to be um, functional for the music, and when I can do my own thing, my own projects, I can put the bass up front. So it's it's uh, very much a bass guitarist uh, album. Yeah. Uh, bass guitar players uh, know what's going on. They know the the, the stacking of the the bass uh, riffs. You know. How you do that, and the, how you uh, and the effects. A lot of a lot of guys I spoke, you know, are interested in the in the effects. What kind of effect do you use, and how do you use it? And uh, yeah, so that's how that uh, started. Well, this record, I got to call out um, the bass on Ram Ram Power. Ram Power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty fierce. And, uh, <laughs> With the yeah. guest players, yeah. You got the real Bootsy flavor on the title track for sure. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was nice. It was the 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 real first track ever for me to uh, record. I really was. I think I, I it took me a year to get that uh, figured out with pre-recordings and. Uh, uh, but when I listen to it now, <laughs> you know, I I do that and you can do it now in five minutes. But back then, the first. Track which was really it was a a, lo uh, a long pregnancy <laughs> before I uh, took that out. But I, I listened to it the other day. Hmm, it's, it still has it, you know. But it's um, I played it very neat because I uh, I uh, rehearsed it so much, and then uh, and now when I record something, it's uh, uh, it's okay, you know. It shouldn't be perfect, so it's okay. Better real than perfect. You know, and uh, it shouldn't be off key or uh, too late or too early, but can be a little rough on, around the edges. But yeah. back then, that that track, and I uh, I didn't know how to do it, so I was made a kind of a voiceover as if I came from my car stereo. <laughs> you know, try to mix uh, Dodge and P funk and bass and cars, and so that's that track. And the the covers is nice because uh, in the in the engine bay, it's it's cool with um, with the bass effects. You know, there are three mutrons in it. Do you know anything about uh, paddles? A little. I mean, I play some guitar, but and I know Bootsy, of course, with the mutron. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, uh, there are thousand bass effects for sale. You know, they they all got funny names. Mutron, bass balls, bass walk, uh, 
yeah, big muff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the, the, I thought, well, let's, how can I make a combination of uh, dodge and, and bass? So I opened up my hood and put in the effects with some uh, wiring in it. And oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, little great, corn, great and then uh, the, the star base uh, in the back, in the back of the of the trunk is is the base. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> too corny, but uh, hey. <laughs> and then um, the only th only problem with this album was, I was uh, it took a, it took me a lot of time. You know, uh, I never did it before. You know, when you're in a band and you got the band dynamics, you can go with that. But making something, making a move of your own, that. For me, it took uh, it took uh, uh, well maybe a year, maybe longer. So uh, then uh, the guy uh, dies. The, the our manager said, "Hey man, what's up with that Dodge album? Well, I only got six tracks. It's, it's not enough. Uh, release it, you know, even with six. Get it out. It takes too long. People are waiting. So I released it with six tracks on it. But that was." Um, also, the, the the critique is that a word? The, the problem with it that uh, it was uh, yeah, it's a good album, it's way too short. So after um, five years or so, um, I uh, complemented with uh, three other tracks and released Mutronic Injection Deluxe. Yeah, that's the one I have. Deluxe. <laughs> yeah, deluxe. So I put some uh, tracks uh, on top of it and. This one uh, came along with a uh, with a 7-Eleven release, so it's nice. These days, bringing out a CD uh, is of no importance. Nobody cares. It, uh, well, some I of can, us still care. Yes, <laughs> I mean, when you uh, release an album and uh, you you uh, you write to a venue, hey man, we got a new album out. Okay, well, and uh, a new album, new material. Yeah, so. There's uh, nobody writes about it. I mean, about about us or uh, Dodge. It's uh, not not as as interesting uh, anymore as back in the day. I don't know exactly when when that changed. Maybe ten years ago. Yeah, it's a shame. I think, but you know, some of the vinyl aficionados, you know, help keeping it alive. I think. That's true. Vinyl. Yeah. There's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.